You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. Morning, everyone. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan Gentry. I've had the privilege of, of preaching here before. I'm uh, one of the members here at Pillar of Jacksonville and have the opportunity to serve as a chaplain over at Camp Lejeune, which has been an honor and a privilege over the last year since uh, Rachel and I, my wife, have been here. Uh, We couldn't imagine doing anything else in this time in our life. So if you already have a copy of God's Word, we do have some uh, underneath the chairs. If you don't have one, feel free to use that and take that home if you don't have a copy. Um, I believe it's going to be on page 836 this morning or roughly around there. I, I looked at it a few minutes ago. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been talking about a lot of different things, right? We've been looking through God's Word, and today we're going to look at this idea of authentic belief, as you see on the screen behind you. And, and belief, right? We believe in a lot of things. Some things true, maybe some things that are not true. For instance, many people believed, used to believe, and some maybe till this day still do, that the earth is flat. We've heard that before. Some people believe that Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster still exists, or they're out there somewhere. Some believe that the U.S. moon landing was staged in a studio. And some people, right, they make conspiracy theories about anything and everything under the sun. And belief is a powerful thing, right? We believe that the sun will rise every day. We believe that most of the time our car will turn on when we crank it. And we believe in the freedom we have. We believe in so many things. How many of those things that we believe in are things that matter? How do we know what true belief is? And today in our passage in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54, I really want us to answer the question, what does authentic belief look like? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into our passage. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and the fact that they are new every morning. We thank you that we have something to believe in. We're just not... Humans wandering this earth with no purpose and no destiny, we have the opportunity to put our faith in a person named Jesus. So this morning, God, as we open up your word, I do pray as the psalmist prayed that you would open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things from your law. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears so that we may believe in what you're telling us this morning. We thank you and we praise you in advance for what you're going to do this morning. In your name we pray, amen. We've been walking through the Gospel of John the last several weeks. Uh, like John's Gospel, like all Gospels, has a purpose for being written. Right? If you remember maybe in high school or college, you maybe had to do a book report and had to read this book, and maybe part of that was saying, okay, identify the purpose of the author. Sometimes that was impossible because some books don't have a purpose, it seems like, and they just want to ramble. But John gives us his purpose statement in John chapter 20, and 30 and 31. Where John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And that's going to come into play later for us. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's good for us to know. This is why John is writing this book. And if you're familiar with how the Gospels work, you know that a lot of stories are happening, and this is exactly how John's writing, as a narrative. And as we read through this particular account this morning, we're going to see a particular story about a man named Jesus and another official that's going on. Let's take a look at it 
starting in chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. So follow along with me in your Bible. It says, After the two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Wow, what a beautiful story that we get to, to look at this morning. And Jared just did a great job last week of walking through the first 42 verses of this chapter, John chapter 4, right? We're familiar with that story, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and, and he brought some, some great points for us, remembering that people would go around this whole entire region of Samaria. Uh, they would avoid it at all cost. And at the end of that section, look at verses 41 and 42. It said, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So once again, it's going back to the theme that John is making sure we know about, this, this idea of belief. And for this particular this passage, we want to see that John wanted his readers to believe in Jesus, not because of the signs that he had done, but because of who Jesus was. And that's true for us today, right? That people need to believe, each one of us need to believe in the person of Jesus and not what he can do for us. So let's walk through this passage, right? Like any good story, right? There's an introduction, there's, there's characters that are involved, there's scenes that are introduced, and we see climax, we see conflict, we see a resolution at the end of the day. And so that's how we're going to kind of approach this, this passage this morning. First, we see the introduction here in verses 43 and 44. Look at it with me again. It says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Okay, where does this two days come from? Well, look at verse 40 there with me, just above. It says, When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So Jesus is doing what he, he said he would do. And we see that Jesus was in this town of Sychar with the woman at the well. And he is now going to be traveling from there in the region of Galilee to this other town we'll see in verse 46 called Cana. And that's about 45 miles apart. So it wasn't just a, a little jot down the road. It was just a, a little walk. It was a, a trip that he had to make. And look at verse 44. Some of your, your versions may have the, this passage in parentheses, uh, and there's a reason behind that. 
He says here, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Or one, where did he say that? Because we always need to make sure we understand where did Jesus say that. Well, the, the Gospels, the other three Gospels as well, they also talk about this in Matthew 13, Mark 6. And in Luke 4.24, we hear the very similar statement. Luke records, and he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Well, why would he, he share this? Well, one, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth when he said this. So what does he mean? Why did John also include this particular statement in his gospel? Well, to understand this, we need to understand even what the Samaritans did with the woman at the well. They were believing in Jesus because of who he was in his word, the word that he spoke to them. You see that as we've already read in verses 41 and 42. But the Galileans here in this area, they were only interested in the signs that Jesus had done or were about to do or or, or were going to see what's going to happen going on here because he had already done some in Jerusalem. And we're going to look at that here now. So we've seen the setting of the story, where Jesus is at, the kind of some of the characters that we're going to deal with. Well, in scene one, we see this, this idea here in verse 45. Look at it with me. So when he had come to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So in this first scene, I want you to understand that it is not enough to see Jesus. It's not enough to see Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that. Notice there in the verse it says that the Galileans had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. Where does that come from? Flip over in your Bibles. It may just should be only one page to chapter 2. And this is what, we're, what John is connecting back to in this passage. So in verses 1 through 12 in chapter 2, we see this is where Jesus had gone to the wedding in Galilee and Cana and had turned the water into wine. Verses 13 through 22, we see that Jesus is, goes and cleanses the temple. And in verses 20 through 23 through 25, we get what John is saying in chapter 4. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So when we think about this in connection to chapter 4, we understand that the people's belief here in Jerusalem was based on the things that Jesus was doing, these signs, these miracles, and not in the person of Jesus. A lot of people, right, they saw Jesus with their physical eyes. Unless somebody in this room has, I don't think anybody in here has seen Jesus with our own eyes. And some people are like, oh, well, if I saw Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Not necessarily, because there was people in the Bible who physically saw what Jesus, he, he healed the lame, he healed the blind, and they still did not believe. I mean, perfect example of the Pharisees, right? We, we could read all day and talk all day long about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, good, good children's song if you remember that. The Pharisees in Matthew 12, 13 to 14, listen to what it says. It said, then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So this is where this man with a withered hand comes in, and Jesus is about to heal him. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. And if I'm sitting there, I'd be like, man, this guy's got to be somebody special, somebody different. But listen to what Matthew says the Pharisees did. 
It says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. Wow. Like, you literally see the man Jesus, the Messiah, do this miracle, and yet you still are blinded to who truly Jesus is. So at the end of the day, this, this, these Galileans, it's not enough just to see Jesus, right, physically, or, or see what God has done. And look at verses 46 and 47. We're now going to get into the, the real heart of this particular story. In scene two, we're going to see that it is not enough to find Jesus. So first scene, we see that it is not enough to see him, but now it's not enough to find him. Follow along with me in verse 46 and 47. It says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was, no, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Well, once again, Matthew, or John tells us that Jesus had come again to this region. Right? He's, he's gone, he's traveled, he's done these things. But now he's coming back to Cana of Galilee. And once again, like we just read, Jesus was here. That's where he went to the wedding. That's where he turned the water into wine. But he still had some mission that he needed to go back to and accomplish. And then we see that this other man comes into play, this official at Capernaum. It's about a town about 15 miles away from where Jesus is at. And it's probably some sort of a Roman official, possibly even working for King Herod. So an important man. Now think about this. As the story continues, imagine a lot of us, we have, we're, we're blessed with a lot of kids in this church, right? So any of us, we've, we've probably had our child sick. Now put yourself in the picture of this father. Whether you've ever had a child who's been deathly sick, I hope not, but who's been pretty seriously sick, you know that you will do anything and everything to get that child better. Whether that's go to the doctor, that's go to you know, CVS in the middle of the night, or the 24-hour mini-mart on Camp Lejeune, right? You know that you're going to do everything you can to help your child feel better, whether that's even something more serious. Now, put yourself in the picture of this father, this official, right? He didn't have doctors like we do today. He didn't, couldn't just drive down the street to go to the med stop or go to the clinic or go to CVS and get that cough syrup. No, he didn't have that. And look what it says about this boy. His child was at, at the point of near death. Imagine the desperation that this father felt. And all of a sudden, he hears about a person, a man, who's been doing miracles, who's been doing signs. He's like, wait a minute. I don't have anything else, so I'm going to go find this man. He goes on this journey. He's so desperate because his son is near death. And all this dad knows is that Jesus has performed some sort of miracles and that he wants to do the same for his son. And that's great. He, he, he's going to go seek after him. He's going to find him, right? And a lot of people do that. They, they get on this spiritual journey, and they're going to look at all these different religions, and they, they come across Jesus, right? And they research him, and they find things about him. But at the end of the day, that's not enough. Because as we see in verses 48 and 49, we've seen scene number three. Look at, listen to what it says. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. We don't, we don't actually hear the first request from this man. We just trust what John says. So in scene three, we see that it is not enough to talk to Jesus. 
So we've already seen it's not enough to, to seek Jesus, it's not, or see Jesus, it's not enough to find Jesus. And now I want to make sure we know it's not enough to even talk to Jesus. Look at it. It says, unless you see signs and wonders. And that's a pretty big deal for Jesus to say that to a man whose son is literally almost at the point of death. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, he is certainly talking to this particular official. But more so, he's talking to those Galileans and people around him who are, who are waiting to say, okay, what's Jesus going to do, right? What, is he going to do something? Is he going to pull a, 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 you know, a rabbit out of his hat and, and heal this boy? No. What Jesus is saying is that, hey, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And connecting that back to what we read in chapter 2, the Galileans were more focused on those signs and wonders that they were hoping that Jesus would do than they actually were about who Jesus was and about the man himself. Of course, we know that Jesus did come to do signs and wonders, so don't hear Jesus saying, hey, I'm not here to do that. That's not his main purpose. I mean, the book of Acts tells us that. He says in Acts 22, 222, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. All right, so that's powerful. We need to remember that Jesus did do signs and do miracles. And that's how many people came to faith. But for the Galileans, this is the only thing that they wanted to see from Jesus. If you remember, even in the crucifixion story, right, Herod wanted to do the same thing. He was anxious to see Jesus because of maybe what he would do, some sort of magic trick or something that would be uh, oohed and odd over. And look at verse 49. Notice what happens. Right? This, this man is not even phased. He kind of doesn't even respond to what, the, what Jesus says to him. He, he, he is so focused on what he wants to happen that he continues with his request. One biblical scholar put it this way, and I thought it was really good. He said, The royal official is not interested in Christology, which is the study of Christ, or fulfilled prophecy, or even in signs and wonders. He is interested in the well-being of his child. Right? This, this may remind you of even the Canaanite woman. Right? She comes to Jesus. Her daughter has a demon. She comes to him and asks for help. He doesn't actually even respond to her first request. It's almost as if he ignores her. She continues to ask, and the disciples get annoyed and said, hey, send her away. And Jesus says, hey, I didn't come. I only came to the lost sheep of Israel. She is persistent. She comes again and asks Jesus to help. And listen to what Jesus' response was. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumb that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And it's the same idea, right? This father here, he wanted his son to be healed so much that he was willing to do anything and everything for him to be healed. And now we're going to get to the climax of the story. Right? This man has heard Jesus. He's heard about him. He's found him and has even asked him for help. And Jesus has just said that he would not believe unless he saw signs and wonders. So what is this man about to do, right? If you're not familiar with the story, it kind of leaves you, wait a minute, what's about to happen? And remember, John's purpose in this gospel is for that anyone may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. And all these things are good that we've already talked about, right? To, to see Jesus to find Jesus, and even talk to Jesus. 
But in and of themselves, that's not enough. There's a lot of people that have done that throughout the history of the world. And now we see in the of the story what's going to happen. Look at verse 50 with me in Jesus' response. He says, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the fourth scene of this story is that we see that it is enough to trust Jesus. In verse 50, we see Jesus' response to this man's request. His word is true, and he says that this man's son will live. Right? And what this man does is he believed the word that Jesus said. Now, this is not full belief yet. We're going to see that in a minute. But this man is trusting what Jesus has said he's going to do. Look at, uh, it's just like the man who was the centurion, but he also believed. Matthew records that and said to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at the very moment. Right, so this man, just like the centurion, is going to go and believe that what Jesus has said is true. This official is choosing to place his trust in Christ and his word. He doesn't question it. I mean, even look at the passage there. Twice, right, this man asked Jesus to physically come down to Capernaum, right, to heal his son. But when he hears, hey, go, your son will live, he just goes. He doesn't question what Jesus is going to do. And that's literally what this word belief means. It's to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. Right? And at the end of the day, we are ultimately talking about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And I would say for most of us, right, we don't typically put our trust in something or someone that we don't trust. Right? That's not typically how trust works. My question for all of us this morning is, do you trust Jesus? Is he the one you have placed your faith in? I think that's a serious question for all of us to ask. But I love the book of John because it's so powerful in the way he describes Jesus in so many different ways. Listen to how one pastor reminds us of who Jesus is, the one we're called to trust. In John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus was announced as the Word the one who would perfectly reveal God to man. In 129 and 36, Jesus is declared to be the Lamb of God, the one who would offer his life as a sacrifice for the sin of each man and woman. In 134, Jesus is called the Son of God, the one unique Son who was sent by the Father to, by, by the Father as a love gift for his people. In 138 and 3.2, Jesus is identified as Rabbi, the one who could perfectly teach us what God is like and how to be reconciled to him. In 141, Jesus is described as the Messiah, the one who would completely fulfill the promises of God given in the Old Testament. In 151, or 149, Jesus is welcomed as the King of Israel, the one who would sit on the throne and rule over his kingdom. In 151, John is called the Son of Man the one whom Daniel prophesied would have an everlasting dominion that would never pass away, filled with people from every nation and language who would serve him. And in 442, Jesus is proclaimed to be the Savior of the world, the one who had shed his blood to bring salvation to all mankind. And that's who Jesus is. That's the God that we get to serve. Right? This is the one we're called to put our faith in, to put our trust in, to believe in, do you trust him? 
And, and that's the same thing that this man, he did. He said, I'm going to put my trust in what Jesus says is true. And we move on in the story in verses 51 and 52. It says, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So we see in scene five here, right in scene four, we see that it is enough to trust Jesus. And in scene five, we see it is enough to believe Jesus. The man in this story believes what Jesus says is going to happen and goes back home. He goes in faith that what he said is going to happen. As he is headed back somewhere along the way, right, his servants come and find him and they tell him that your son is recovering. And then he asks, hey, well, when, when did that happen? And he gives the answer about the seventh hour. There's some debate whether this was 7 p.m. according to Roman time or 1 p.m. At the end of the day, this, son's, this son was healed. He was on his way to recovery. Jesus has proven himself faithful in the life of this official, right? He, he, the official's faith is about to come full circle here in a moment as he has seen how God has moved in his life. His faith is growing. You might be asking the question, hey, what do you mean? What's the difference between trusting Jesus, believing Jesus? Well, think about it this way. It's like your friend of yours telling you about a new restaurant they've gone to, right? You, you've not been to it yet, and they say, hey, yeah, the food's really good there. Why don't you go try it out? You're like, okay, yeah, I, I trust my friend. I believe uh, what he's saying is true, even if you haven't been there yet. And then you decide, hey, we're going to go try it out. We're going to go and believe that when we get to that restaurant, when we eat the food, it's going to be good. Well, it's not until you've actually gone to the restaurant and have tasted the food do you more fully believe in the fact that the food is actually good. And he was right. I think that's a way we can think about this. And in a moment, we're going to really see, hey, he's actually putting his full faith, his authentic belief in Jesus. Look at verses 53 and 54. It says here, The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in his whole, all his household. This was now the second son that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Once again, this man responds to the fact that Jesus said, your son will live. What Jesus had said actually comes true. The desperate father, when he had gone to Jesus, heard those words, went back and believed, and now has seen the result of Jesus' faithfulness. Right, and, and the official here in this moment has gotten exactly what he wanted, right? He wanted his son to be healed. And now he's faced with, I believe, two choices. He's now faced with he can continue in his old lifestyle, right, and remember the things that God has done for him, that he, when his wife and him look at his son, they'd be like, hey, remember that time where he almost died? And that man named Jesus did something for him. They can live that way, but I'm pretty sure we know what happens here. They, their lives are drastically changed because they have understood who Jesus is. He's not just some you know, little magician or some cosmic thing here that he can just do things when he wants, right? No, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So he's faced with that decision, or he can place his faith in Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. He can choose to believe in the one true God. He can choose to put his full trust in Jesus, the one who made the blind see the one who raised the lame, the one who brought people back from the grave, the one who is the Savior of the world, and the one who healed his son. 
And the story tells us here what happens, right? He himself believed and his whole household. All right, the story shows us that he himself believed in that. Yes, God did a miracle in his life, but at the end of the day, this Roman official didn't just believe in Jesus because he gave his son back to him. No, this Roman official believed in Jesus because of the person of Jesus and the fact that he does bring life out of death. And that's why we read that passage in Acts. It's that same reminder of this household salvation. And, and John reminds us in verse 54, right, that this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And as we heard in John chapter 20, this isn't all the signs that Jesus did. These are just some of them. But ultimately, this sign does bring authentic faith to this man, right? He believes in the person of Jesus. He has placed his faith in Jesus. He wasn't seeking more signs, but more of the Savior. He now understands who Jesus is and places his faith in him. Right? And as we read in that passage in Acts chapter 16, we understand that people respond to the gospel and place their faith in him. Right? What a better way for you and your entire household to come to faith than through Jesus. I love how Charles Spurgeon actually summarizes the story. Listen to what he says. He says, Notice that the official's faith comes in stages. There was first the spark of faith, which rested entirely on the report of others. And it was such a little faith that it only concerned the healing of the sick child. The, mo- the nobleman did not know that he needed healing in his own heart. Then notice that his faith was so feeble that he limited Jesus' power to his local presence. He asked Jesus, Sir, come down before my boy dies. Yet his faith was sufficient for him to take a considerable journey to our Lord. Then there was a fire of faith. He stood before the Savior resolved not to go away from him. His only hope for his child's life was in the great prophet of Nazareth, and therefore he did not intend to leave him until his request was granted. Then we see the flame of faith. When Jesus said, Go, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said and departed. Finally, there was a conflagration of faith. When the answer to his prayers was confirmed, he himself believed as well as wife and son. From that day forward, he became a disciple of Jesus. He followed him not as a healer only or as a prophet only or as a savior only, but as his Lord and his God. Wow, what a beautiful way to summarize this journey of belief for this, this official. And now my question for us is how do we respond to this? What are we to do today? And I think certainly this sermon is, is engineered for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus because it is important for authentic belief. So let me speak to that first. Maybe you're here today, this is your first time, you were invited by a friend or a family member and you were tired of them pestering you, so you decided to come. And I don't think that's an accident that you're here. I firmly believe God has put you here today, not because I'm preaching, but because the word of God is being opened and the gospel is, is presented. And even though it may seem like you just came on a certain circumstance, right? There's, there's several things that, as an unbeliever, you need to do. First, don't put your faith in just knowing about Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus. You have to put your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in the finished work of Christ is the second thing you need to do. Believe in the gospel. 
Right? That's how you do it. You put your faith in the finished work of Christ. And if you're not familiar with the gospel, well, here it is. Hold on. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God shows His love for us in the Listen, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Last verse, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And church, today is the day of salvation. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, why not? Give your life to Christ, right? You can come talk with one of the pastors, elders, or even myself or any Christian around you, and they can walk you through how to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But lest I forget those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus I want to challenge you to this. Make sure you are actually in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us this. It says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Well, what do I mean by that? What does even Paul mean by that? It means this. Just because you've been a church member all your life doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you've read your Bible, you pray every day, any of those things, it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. A lot of good people have done that. Just because you've been on a mission trip or shared your faith does not make you are a Christian. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is authentic faith. And that is found in believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and mercy. Lord, we know that you are a God who is the God who saves. There are so many attributes of yours that we can talk about and hear about. But at the end of the day, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And we don't deserve that. We, we don't deserve that because we are sinners in need of a great Savior. And by the fact that you sent your one and only son Jesus to die on the cross for us, is, is too much to even comprehend. But Lord, it's true. You are trustworthy and your word does not return void. It always goes out and accomplishes what you send it for. And I pray today, if there's someone in this room who does not have a personal relationship with you, that they would give their life to Christ. It is the greatest thing that they'll ever do. It is the greatest gift that they'll ever receive. So God, we pray as we are now about to enter into this time of the Lord's Supper that you will Use this time to remind us of the price that you paid on the cross. God, we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate and celebrate your word and going to the table. God, we thank you for this. We praise you. We ask that you would bless the rest of our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. And as I said, we're about to enter into 